Bibles to Genesis 46. We're going to be looking at Genesis 46 and 47 today. And so if you turn there, we'll go ahead and uh, get started together. Um, that pa- these two passages are two chapters, I mean, it's a lot of verses, so we're going to cover quite a bit of ground again today. But I just wanted you, um, as we're looking at that, we'll kind of go through kind of basically where we're going to go and a little bit of past history if you haven't been with us. So if you just bow with me before we get started. Father, we just come to you now, grateful of your goodness and your mercy towards us, and that you are um, accomplishing your plan, and you are doing so uh, very clearly in our world. And I just pray, God, today that for some of us out here where we think we're so far from you, so far from what you want for us, or, or maybe we just fear our future or whatever it might be, Lord, I just pray that we would see this story and understand your presence how we enter into that, and how we uh, continue walking in your presence, and, and just what you tell us that you will do, staying with us throughout our life. I just pray that would be clear today, and you'd open our hearts to that. In Christ's name, amen. So we're starting, uh, just a reminder, if you're new with us, we are looking at uh, the story of Joseph, the life of Joseph. It kind of, all this hinges on the fact that in Genesis, the book of Genesis, God creates a world that's good, Man rebels, and then God makes a promise to be with us. And He says, I'm going to restore relationship with His people, and He's going to ultimately do that through His Son, but all along the way we're going to see Him showing us how He's going to do that and how He's, he's, he's bringing that about and how He's going to preserve His people all throughout history. And kind of the story of Joseph is about that. God is going to preserve His people even when everything looks like it would be lost. And He's going to do that through the life of Joseph. So we know the story, just a little bit of it. Joseph ends up in in Egypt after his brothers sell him into slavery. He goes there. He spends a long time as a slave, and then he ends up in prison, wrongly kind of accused of that. He goes to prison. He's there for a season. And basically what happens is, uh, through a process, he becomes uh, second in charge of all of Egypt. As a result, Egypt's about to go into a a time of seven years when he goes into office as second in charge. He's going to have seven years of plenty. During those seven years, he's going to save a bunch of grain, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. What happens is, after those seven years of famine, his brothers who had sold him into slavery, I mean, before those started, or as they're starting, they begin to face famine also. And so they go to Egypt. When they go there, Joseph hides his... They don't know who he is, and so he's kind of hidden to them. And uh, he begins to deal with them, and he provides for them, but he puts them through a series of tests. After those tests are over, he says, listen, he shows himself to them and he says, I've forgiven you all the evil that you've done to me. I'm going to let all that go and I'm going to forgive you. I mean, just unbelievable. But it's not just forgiving him, he blesses them. And so he says, I'm going to not only forgive you, but I'm going to bless you. Now go back and get your families back in the land where you're from, the land of Canaan, the land of promise, and y'all come back here. And so today is kind of that part where they're coming back to Egypt and Joseph's going to set them up in Egypt, and he's going to provide for them in enormous ways. So we kind of see that as we move forward. Now here's the thing. I think you, if you were to walk away with something try to think through this, God promises to go to Egypt with his people. That's kind of the central thrust of the day. But not only that, it kind of for us we would say God promises to be with us as we sojourn through this life. And you say, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is you and I are living in this world... The Scriptures says about God's people that we are exiles and strangers in this world. This world as it is is not our home. 
And we're kind of backpacking through this world until we get to our home. But as we backpack through, God says, I'm going to be there with you. And that's kind of the way you would kind of understand this. I think it's important to say it. Now, here's another thing that came to, came to my mind. Sometimes you think, man, is God's presence with us? Is He with me? Can I trust that? And, and I think about sometimes, uh, we, we think about in, even in our lives, we think about we need to live with other people. We need kind of a sense of community. We need to know that there are, not only is God with us, but our God's people, we're together, we're moving along together. And sometimes even in our world, and just I was thinking about this week, we're, we're kind of growing up in a society right now that that's, thinks it's really connected. A lot of people are connected with them. A lot of people know what's going on in their life and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of this whole generation of Facebook people, and they're going to grow up and they're going to say, oh, I'm so connected. Oh, I have so many friends. Oh, all this stuff. And they say, I can connect with everybody, and everybody knows what's going on in my life. But it's really creating an environment where people are all alone, even though they're really connected. It's kind of a strange deal that we're growing up in this culture. And so you could live totally alone and totally separated from people, but like kind of slightly connected. Not really what God designed us to do. We were designed to, to, to kind of go through this life with people, people that we know, people that we have intimate relationships with, and as we move through as God's people, we're moving together as God's people, experiencing His presence all along the way. That's why I think it's so important to say, if we gather, as we gather to worship, it's a time where we experience God coming to us, God's presence with us, and we are moving along this journey, and so we gather together in our homes, we gather for worship, we gather in times, and we say, remember God's presence, God's moving, God's working, God's accomplishing His plan in our lives. And I think sometimes there are people out there, and you, you kind of look at this process as we think about it, and you think, I feel so alienated from God. And the first thing that comes to my mind is, are you gathering with the people of God? Because when you come together with the people of God, it's surrounded around the Word of God. And you experience the Spirit's power among His people so that the spiritual gifts are on display and you get to experience that. God's presence with us becomes most clear when we gather together both in worship, in discussion groups, in our homes, and we gather together and people are speaking the truth about God. No wonder some people say, I feel so alienated. You are. Because God's presence is among His people. In part, you say, I can get personally gather with God. But most importantly, I think over and over in Scripture, is you gather with God's people. And He meets them there. And He speaks truth to us. And He comforts our hearts. And He makes promises that He's going to be with us. So I'll just say to you today, when you feel disconnected from God, Run to God's people, gather with them, and pray that He would, in a very powerful way, display His glorious Gospel in the lives of each other as we speak with one another and encourage each other. All those things are so important. So I just stop there because I think it's so important just to stop and go, man, grasp that. I think it's such a scary thing in our culture. There's so many people, even that claim to be Christians, who are alienated from the church. They claim to be Christians because they listen to Bible studies and they have their favorite author or speaker, but they're not intimately tied to the people of God. And of course, they feel alienated and of course, they feel all alone. We need that. So I'll just kind of 
hit that because I think that's at the heart of what's going on here. God being with His people. And we need to know that. We need to experience that. So let's just start in verse 1. And so we see Israel is going to uh, took up his journey. Israel and Jacob are the same. Again, just remember that. Took up his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Jacob's on his way to Egypt. He stops at his father's home base. It's like in a sense, like his hometown in a, in, a, in a sense kind of. His father had been there for uh, different times and so he stops there. While he's there, he's going to make sacrifices to God. He's going to stop and he's going to, he's going to have a time of worship before God. While there, God's going to meet with him. So it's just kind of important that you see that. Um, and we're going to see this throughout the Scripture. One of the things you'll see is there's these sacrifices and offerings and sometimes the, the people make those and then God's presence shows up. We see that like in Abraham's life, it's a little different. In Abram, God just shows up and then he offers sacrifices after that. But we see different things and ultimately, though, I think it's important, it's always accompanied by a vision. A lot of times in the scriptures you see this, that God's going to reveal himself in a very powerful way. Now, one of the things I think is just important is that why is Jacob doing this? Why is he stopping and doing this before he takes off on his journey to Egypt? I mean, is he afraid? I mean, certainly there would be some fears. He's an older man. He's going out again. He's leaving everything he knows. He's leaving the land of promise. There's some things that would be frightening there. Uh, Egypt was known as a place where there would be all kinds of of wild ideas and thoughts and, and all these different things kind of going on. But also, I think there's an element where he is saying in this moment, I want to make sure that God's going to be with me. I want to make sure that God is going to be dwelling with me in this process as I'm moving ahead. I want to know that I have the divine blessing. I don't want to be like in unbelief running over there to get food. I want to know God's going to be there and He's going to dwell with me as I go forward. So in verse 2, God speaks to him and He calls him by name. He says, Jacob, Jacob. It's the same thing he said to Abraham when we see him in Genesis 22. He, he, God speaks to him and he says, Abraham, Abraham. It's the same thing that God says to Moses. He says, Moses, Moses. And he, he speaks to them. He calls them by name. It's a very powerful picture. Samuel is treated this way in Scripture. It's something that's very powerful to say, boom, God is speaking to him. God is calling him by name. God is saying, you're mine. God is initiating and showing that he has relationship with him. And know what he says. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand, hand shall close your eyes. She's saying there, just by the way, his hand will close his eyes. It's the idea of when you die, Joseph will be there to do that. Back in the old days, I think they would, did they take half dollars? Is that right? They put over the eyes of someone, someone would close them, they put them there, and they, kind of this thing like that they would do is like someone has passed. He's saying, Joseph's going to be there with you in that moment. I'm the God of your father. This is the idea. Now, here's the thing. This is the idea that's saying, look, look, the, the, the God of your father, really the God of your grandfather, all of the, this, I am this God. He's, he's, he's referring back to the promise. He's referring back to what he said to his father and to him. And he's making that very clear. And he says to him, do not be afraid to go down. I am going with you. That's so important. God's presence is going to dwell with him. 
God's not going to leave him out there. Now we've talked about this before, but what, what a lot of people in that time period, there was, there was like tons of gods. So you would want to make, if you were like traveling to another region, you'd want to sacrifice to this God. If you're in this region, I want to know about this God. And there's all these gods. And even if you lived in one region, you might have ten gods. The God of the field, and the God of the water, and the God of this, and God of that. But God is saying, I am not set to a place. I travel everywhere with my people. I am your God. The God of heaven and earth. The one who reigns and rules over all things. I'm going to be with you. Now, as you kind of keep moving forward, just to think about this, he not only says that, but he says he's going he's gonna to make them a great nation. He's not going to just, they're not going to go over there and just struggle. God's going to build them a nation while they're there. Now, there's something that just kind of, I want you to turn back here real quick, just because I want you to see it. Turn to Genesis 15, verse 13. Because I just think it's kind of interesting to understand what's taking place here. But this might have been some of Jacob's fear. He's thinking, uh oh, this is that time. In Genesis 15, 13, it says, Then the Lord said to Abram, which is Jacob's grandfather, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. So, I mean, Jacob may be thinking, we're about to pack up, go over there, and it is true that that's going to take place, but not this at this moment in their life. At this moment, God is going to be there and they're going to live in a time of great blessing. In the future, certainly they'll spend that 400 years there, but God will not leave them alone. God will be there and He's going to bring them out. So anyway, I just think it's important that you see this. So there's some level of being afraid, but God is going to be with them. And not only that, He's going to say, I'm going to bring you back. And I think it's important that you see that. If you go back to to Genesis 46, and He says, and He's going to bring you up again. It's not that you're going to be there forever. He's going to bring him up again. There's some element to where uh, Jacob's body is going to be taken back to the promised land, but there's something else about this that's saying that, that he is going to actually... Uh, there, there's kind of this element where he's going back to the promised land, but also that God's going to keep him eternally. In Hebrews chapter 11, just to kind of give you an idea, there's this, this, this truth that comes out where these people are walking by faith and they're looking for a city whose, whose architect and builder is God. There's an element to where the promised land was a little picture of the greater promised land. That we would experience eternal blessing with God. God is not just going to leave him even in his, his life he's going to be with him. In his death he's going to be with him. Eternally he's going to be with him. They were looking towards something, an eternal homeland that God was building. There's something about this that's pointing them to even something greater. Now, another thing I think is just important for us. The Bible says that God, God reassures us as exiles. I said that earlier. And you say, I'm not an exile. I was born in Texarkana. I've been here all my days. Not an exile. But the reality is the Bible says you are an exile. You are strangers on this earth. The things that we talk about here are not the ways of this world. There's a great divide between the ways of this world and the ways of God. This world is passing away in all of its lust and all of its evil and all of its rebellion, but the one who does the will of God will abide forever. It's kind of this division between we're living as strangers and aliens, we're awaiting the day where we'll be with God, where the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the heaven, uh, uh, God's, God's reign in heaven would be true here on earth. 
that all would be restored and right. And there'd be no more brokenness and despair and all those things. So God speaks of that. And He says that He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this is what God says to these strangers and exiles in 1 Peter. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed at the last times. God is saying, you are in exile, but God is keeping a place for you. He's reserved for you an eternal glory. It's a very powerful picture. Not only that, Jesus said in John 14, I am going to prepare a place for you, and I will come again to receive you unto Myself. There's something about that that's saying, listen, don't be troubled about this life. God is with His people. He will be with them through this life, and He will be with them in the next. And I, I, I thought that was very powerful what Mike prayed earlier. And he prayed that you would, you would give your life to God now. You would entrust yourself to God now. Both now and into eternity. That you would trust Him. That you would walk with Him. That you would be under His care. That you would submit to His rule now. And you see in Jacob's life, he is bowing before God and he's saying kind of like Moses did, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not lead us up from here. He longed to be with his son, but he wanted God to be with them. I just wonder today, I mean, when's the last time you sat before God and said as a family, Lord, we want your presence with us. We want to be faithful to you. We want your guidance. Your direction. We want You to lead us in every way. Jesus said to His disciples, those who would submit to Him and trusted in Him alone to save them. He said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. God promises these things to Israel. He promises those to us. Now, just kind of a thing. How do you seek to know God's will now you ever wonder there's things man I, how do you know god's presence is with you now what do you do to try to say lord uh, you're not prop, you're not going to have this probably this jacob experience how do you know is you have something greater by the way he promises his spirit with us but how do we know god's presence with us as we move ahead i think one of the things is is Certainly we could say, if I've trusted in Christ, His presence is with me. But at the same time, I come to make decisions in life and I want to make the right one. And I, I don't know. One of the things we do is we survey God's Word and say, is this according, accordance, uh, in accordance like with His Word? Is this something a way to walk in His ways? Is this, is this, does this seem like something that God's heart beats for? Is it, can, can I say that that is true? In this step that I would make, is God going to be a, a, a proof of this? Another thing you would say is, I would say you would seek godly counsel. You get people around you that say, that try to speak wisdom. If you don't like to listen to godly counsel, you got a problem. You get people around you that are truth tellers, who love God's Word and who want to walk in His ways. Another thing I think is just important is that you would pray regularly. You would seek God, that you would ask Him to close doors and open those that He would have for you to walk down. And I think at the end of that, if you're really saying, I want to be in God's ways, and you say, what do I desire to do in this moment? What do I desire to do? Everything in my life, I try to walk according. What do I desire to do? 
what do I want to do in this moment? If I'm walking in the ways of God, what do I want to do? Jacob wanted to see Joseph, and rightly so, but he wanted to make sure that God would be with him in his movement there. And so I just think it's important just to know that. Now, we're going to kind of move faster as we move ahead, but I just want you to note this as you look at verses 5 through 7. Jacob kind of journeys to Egypt, and you're going to see in verses 5 through 7, he's going to move that way, the little ones and all that stuff. We're going to see he's going to pick up his whole family. It's not just part. It's not just like we're going to leave a little section here in case stuff don't work out in Egypt. Everybody's picking up and everybody's leaving. The whole family is coming together. They're walking by faith, trusting God that He's with them. You keep moving in verses 8 through 25. He's going to give you a list. A list of 70 people there. It's going to be this family. And really, as you're going to look at that list, you're going to see all of his, you know, his sons and it's going to kind of lay out his family there. It's a list of 70 people and they're going to come out strong. You'll see that in verses 26 and 27. Now here's the thing, kind of interesting. They were 70 people after 215 years. Can you believe that? God had said to Abram, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be with me. That, that family from, for 215 years had been growing and they'd grown to 70. Pretty small in 215 years. I mean, you think, good night. I mean, that, that doesn't seem very strong. Now, here's the thing. They're going to go to Egypt, and in 400 years, there'll be a couple of million plus. Two million plus. It's kind of one of those things that God is not, really, I think it's important, and it's so hard for me to take this often. God's not always on our timetable. God's accomplishing His plan in His way, and sometimes we're frustrated by that because we think, what's going on? But God often lays a foundation before He does those things. And so what he's going to do, he's going to start and he's going to build this and it's going to be very slow and then it's going to explode. And that's kind of how this family's going to go and God's going to do it. And I just think it's important to see that, that he is working in his timetable, in his way, and he's going to grow this into a great nation and it's going to be in the most unlikely place. They're going to be out as servants out in the middle of, of Egypt. It's going to be a very amazing thing that God's going to do. He does it backwards than maybe we would do. Now the third scene in the story, Joseph meets his father and preps his brothers. This is one of those things, Joseph's been waiting forever to be with him. You see that in verses like 23, I mean 28 through 34. He's going to come and he's going to, really the father's going to send Judah ahead. He's going to get everything prepared. They're going to go into the, this land of Egypt. They're going to get there. Joseph's going to go out, the one who's second in charge of all of Egypt. And he's going to meet his father. It's been 20 plus years since he's seen his father. He's going to fall on his neck and weep. And both of them are going to be so overwhelmed with joy. They haven't seen each other in so long. And God is leading them. And we see God's presence is with Israel as, as they're uniting. Jacob and jo Joseph are uniting together. We see God's presence with them. Such a beautiful picture of this reunion with God. Then in 31 through 34, this is what you're going to see. Basically, Joseph's going to say to his brothers, he's going to say, hey, when you go before Pharaoh, this is what you need to say. You need to tell him that you've been, a, uh, you know, you've been herding sheep your whole life. Why would they need to do that? Because Egyptians could not stand shepherds. Uh, they just, I don't, I mean, they just didn't like them. And so, for them to be kind of set up in the land of Goshen, kind of separated from the people, as a good thing. But they need to make sure because here's the deal: Pharaoh might say, "Well, y'all come live in the city and all hang out together." But that was not God's plan. That was not the right thing to do. I was thinking about this. You ever seen the movie Open Range? That's a good. No, y'all like that movie? Man, that's a good movie. Anyway, but Open Range has Kevin Costner and Robert Duvall, one of the greatest of all time. But anyway, 
in that movie, they're free grazers, and they keep repeating free grazers, free grazers. They, I mean, that's guy that owned all the land around there. He could not stand free grazers. And so he tries to wipe them out, and, of course, Robert Duvall and Kevin Costner have to put the whip down on those guys. But anyway, it's kind of like, there's kind of like city dwellers. The Egyptians are kind of high society people. And those shepherds were kind of like, mm, we don't want to be around them. They're dirty. They work with their hands. They're out in the field. And, and so they would be kind of looked down upon in that society. But this would be very beneficial. God is with them in it. Because this would be so beneficial for them. They would not be caught up in the world of Egypt. And all that came with that. They'd be kind of separated from that. It would be good for them as a people. So you go to kind of the fourth scene. And Joseph's brothers are going to meet with Pharaoh. And we see God's presence with them. Because, listen, Pharaoh's going to give them the best of the land. This is crazy. These guys that all of Egypt could not stand are now going to have the best land in the land. It's just a wild thing. And so you're going to see in, in 47, kind of verses 1 through 6, is, is Pharaoh's going to ask about what they did, and they're going to say that, and they're going to say, could we just live in the land of Goshen and be out there? And Pharaoh says, okay, that's great. Be in the land of Goshen. And then he says, on top of that, Joseph, if you've got any of them that are worth anything, Put them on the staff, you know, and like put them in my fam, my uh, pay, like let me pay them and they'll become like these people that are watching over my herds. And you see this unbelievable blessing for these people. So that's kind of how, how this moves through. And you think, think of this, it's interesting. When you look back over the brother's life, they were heathens. I mean, really. You look at these cats and you think, man, those dudes are insane. I, mean, I can't believe some of the stuff they did. And, and you know how, like, if you think something, and sometimes you might talk about it, but to do it is like the next step? Th these guys did the bad stuff. I mean, they went into a town and killed every man in it. I mean, they're, they're a rough bunch of guys. But in this story, what we see is God has granted them forgiveness and promised to bless them in spite of who they are. It's a very powerful picture of the Gospel. We are rebellious sinners, and God says, I'm going to save those rebels, and they're going to repent of their sins and trust in Me, and I'm going to bless them beyond measure. It's one of those things, they surely were overwhelmed by what took place. Now, in scene 5, we see God's presence with Egypt, I mean, with Israel when they, go, when they go in, and Jacob's going to speak to Pharaoh. Now, this is crazy. Pharaoh's the most powerful man in the world. Jacob, the father of this family, walks in, and he blesses Pharaoh. And he's this old man who's a shepherd not known in any way, and this most powerful man in the world is receiving blessings from him. Notice verse 7. Let's just read that and I'll just read it to you. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojournings are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. This is a very powerful picture here. You know, in most cultures even, it would not, you would think that the, the superior would speak a blessing over the inferior. Here, Jacob goes in and he speaks blessing. Now, the promise said that God said, I'm going to use my people to bless those who bless them and to do good to the world, to bless the nations, He's going to use them. And you kind of see that in this picture. But also I think it's just interesting to note, like in that, that culture, evidently at some level, the older man 
was in a place of high authority and esteem. You know, that's different than our culture. You know that? Our culture is like cultic about youth. They don't see wisdom in age. It's funny, this most powerful man in the world is receiving blessing from this older man. It's a very kind of powerful picture in, in this life. I, I was talking to Bobby, uh, and he was telling me um, Shannon's uh, grandfather is really sick, and he's older, he's, in, he's 91, is that right? 88, okay, 88. And so he, he's 88 years old, and he um, just recently... He, he was, they thought he was not going to make it very much longer, and he kind of, he, he has everybody come in, and he speaks to them. I mean, he speaks kind of his final thoughts to them, right? Bobby said he talks about, you know, just forgiveness and different things, but he, he, I think he had several sermons. He was a preacher, you know, so he couldn't just have one, right? But still, he speaks over them. It's a very powerful thing to see that. And even Jacob doing that, and we're going to see later Jacob do this again, and it's just one of those powerful things that you see that's taking place in this moment. But we see another thing just interesting. He said that, that my life's been filled with trouble. Jacob's life really has been filled with trouble. Some because he did it, some because other people did it. But God has been with him even though he's been through it. Later he's going to say, God's been my shepherd all of my days. Okay, then we move on here. Just go to this uh, sixth scene, you might say. We're going to see that he's going to provide. Joseph's going to provide for his whole family. And Israel's going to be blessed in this land that they were just sojourning in, and they're going to be in this famine, but God's going to bless them and measure, but we're going to see His presence with them. But not only that, we're going to see God's presence with His people as Joseph goes and blesses the nation of Egypt. What's going to happen is the famine's going to get so severe, Egypt's going to say, we're all starving. And basically, we don't have any more money. And Joseph's going to, and they're going to say, could you take our livestock? And Joseph says, bring your livestock, I'll give you grain. Then they get really hungry again and they say, look, just take our whole lives, all of our land. And so Joseph says, okay, that's fine. And he gives them grain. And they're sitting there and he's just taking care of them. But as they're doing it, they're, they're giving themselves up. They've given everything they possess up. Now, something that's interesting about that, I think it's just very powerful, is when you see like in the Scripture, in, in Israel's history, when someone fell on hard times, the guy that had the ability to do so would take that person in as an indentured servant, and he would do so really to help him pay off his debts. And in the 50th year, they would kind of release them. Here, Pharaoh's never going to really release them, but what's going to happen is, after all is said and done, what's going to happen is Joseph's going to say, okay, all you people come back. The whole of Egypt's your servant. And now he's going to say, okay, all you servants, here's some stuff, go out and work the land. And all I'm asking you to do is give me a fifth, and then the four-fifths y'all keep for yourselves to take care of your family. It's kind of like a tax on, on them. And so from that point on, they're going to have that, and he's going to really bless them in very powerful ways. They're even going to say of him, you have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh basically perpetually. It's a very kind of beautiful picture, though, of him rescuing them from total despair. Now, the last thing's going to happen in this chapter is Jacob is going to be, he knows he's going to die soon. So he's going to call his son to him, Joseph, and he's going to say, please give me, I mean, it's kind of like that. He's going to say, I don't know how much longer I'm going to live, but, but I want you to do something for me. And he's going to say, put your hand under my thigh. It's kind of like putting your hand on the Bible in America. Make an oath to me that you will, we, you will carry me out and bury me in the place of my fathers. Promise me that. And we're going to see God's presence again 
as he's going to prosper Israel, he's going to multiply them, but he's also going to send Jacob back to the promised land. So anyway, that's kind of the whole of this story, and he's going to bow before the Lord after Jacob. I mean, Joseph says, "I'll do that, Father," and we see that kind of unpack. Now, why do we read all this? And you think, why do we read these chapters and what's taking place here? Again, God's presence with His people, I think, is central to this. I think that should be central to your study of this this morning. We see God's presence with us. Now, one of the things, just kind of think about a few things. We see God's presence as God's people here today. If you have recognized that you're a sinner and Christ is your only hope and you repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, you know that God's presence is with us in Jesus. As Joseph kind of, really, this kind of just a couple of things to help you. As Joseph gave God's people a place to dwell in Egypt, Jesus grants us a place in the kingdom of God. As Joseph provided food for his people, so Jesus provides us with the bread of life, a food that will always satisfy, will never go hungry again, Jesus would say. As Joseph saved Israel from starvation, so Jesus saves us from our sins and gives us eternal life. Not only eternal bread, but eternal life. In accordance with His promise, God goes with His people wherever they go. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, I will be with you wherever you go. Now, just a couple more things to think about in this story. As God told Jacob to to not be afraid to go to Egypt, that He would go with them, He also told that to Moses. He said, I will go with you. Later in the Scripture, He's going to say to Israel, God is going to go with you as you enter into the Promised Land. When they go into exile... God says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the flames will not overcome you. All these things He lays out for them. But then later, when Jesus is born, God says He is going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus ascends into heaven, He says, I'm going to send My Spirit to be with you. On the last day, when He comes again, He said, these people will be My people and God will be with them forever. All the way through Scripture, God's presence is at the center. Now here's the thing. If you're here today, the only way that you're separated from the presence of God is if you reject His Son. You are born alienated from God. You are born in hostility against God. You are born a a rebel against God. That's how you are born. Separated. And the only hope for us is that someone would bridge the gap in that separation. Jesus, God the Son, came down to earth as a human. He walked as we should have walked. He walked obediently to the will of God. And then He went to the cross and He bore the wrath that we deserved. He took the alienation for us. And when, listen, when He died on the cross, what happened? The veil of the temple was torn in two. Why? Because it said that you were separated from God. But when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn in two. We have access to God. Jesus has reconciled us to God. So if you are apart from Jesus today, living on your own, or thinking, hey, I'm going to make it on my own way. I'm going to do everything I can and do it right. And then I'll be reconciled to God. You are a fool. The only way that you could be reconciled to God is to repent of your sins and trust in Christ alone. And then His presence is truly with us. And you'll experience His presence both in this life and the life to come. If you're a believer today, God's presence is with you. Now here's the thing. You might not feel it as closely if you're walking in rebellion. You're not gathering with the people of God. If you're abandoning the Word of God, 
if you're living your own way, if you're in that kind of condition, man, you are at that feeling. You have that moment where you say, man, I, I really don't sense the presence of God with me. I'm struggling with experiencing the peace of God. I feel like I'm walking in the desert and I don't know the presence of God. I want to be. What would I say to you? I'd say, man, get back with the people of God. Repent of your sins. Walk in God's ways. Begin to pray and cultivate that and get around people that will encourage you in those things. Seek to walk in His presence today. Be like Jacob and you stop for worship and you say, God, I want you to go with me. What you say when you say, I want you to go with me, is say, God, I want to align myself with what you're doing and what you want for my life. And I just encourage you today, wherever you are, God's presence is with His people. And we need to gather with one another. We need to seek first His kingdom. We need to strive together. We need to be encouraging one another of the presence of God. We need to be speaking the truths of God over one another. So we say, God is with us. God is with us. Listen, in the darkest of hour, God is with us. God is carrying us. He's moving and accomplishing His plan in our lives. God is there. God is not alien from us. He is a personal God and He dwells with His people. He dwelt with the people of God in Genesis all the way through to Revelation. God is with us. And we need to be reminded of that over and over and over again. It motivates us to want to seek Him more as we experience His presence in the present and we await to experience in its fullness in the future. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You that You have not hidden Yourself from us. Lord, we know that You could, could not have done what You did, but you, you have accomplished for us a reconciling work of grace where we who are separated can now be drawn near. Lord, we want to know Your presence as a people. We want to experience that more fully. I just pray today, Lord, if there are some out here that are among us even today who are saying, I'm alienated from God. I'm in rebellion against God. I'm not seeking Him. I've never turned to Him. God, I just pray today would be the day that they would repent and trust in Christ alone to save them. Lord, for those who are here who said, I just haven't felt as close to God, I pray that they would use the means of grace that You've given we gather for worship as they're able to study the Word and prayer and the Lord's Supper and all those things that help us know Your presence close to us. We just ask that You would do that today. In Christ's name, Amen.